Come on, come on, come on. How good is our God? Come on. Just had 11 people get baptized this morning. That was incredible. Thank you, band, for the energy, for the hype. That was amazing. And you guys can grab a seat. You can grab a seat. We're going to, after my message, we're going to go back into a short time of worship. So if you're not the biggest fan of fast songs and you're like, there was, I felt gypped, don't worry. We'll get to it. I promise. If you, we don't, you can throw me in the tank. Um, <laughs> well, good morning, church, and welcome to week five of a series that we've been calling Unleashed. Now, if you've been with us over these past four weeks, and uh, you, you would know that this series is really based on a word that God gave us about a couple months back in, in March, where God showed us this picture that there were people in our church, people in our community, who were living their lives leashed. And the specific image we got was of a dam holding back water. And the word was that there are people in this church who have so much potential, who have so much skill, who have so much gifting that God has given you for a reason. He has made you for a specific reason. But the reason you aren't able to live out the life that God has for you is because you've been leashed leashed by lies that you believed about God and about yourself, leashed by fears that have kept you from stepping out in faith, leashed by addictions and pain and hurt and trauma and all of these different things that we deal with that, that tend to hold us back. And so through this series, our hope is that God will set you free. And we know that freedom is a process and that speaking for 12 weeks on it isn't going to fix your life perfectly, but our goal is that through this series, God would set some people free from the things that have been holding you back. And so over the past four weeks, we have been talking on four key promises that we need to believe in order to live in freedom. We've talked about you are loved. We've talked about you are not alone talked about you will always have enough. And last week, Dan brought us an amazing message on you are eternal. And these are four promises that define our relationship with God. They define how God sees us. They define how God looks at us and interacts with us and, and who God is to us. He loves us. He is always with us. He will always provide us what we need to do what he has called us to do, and he has given us eternity as a gift. But over these next four weeks, we want to start tackling some problems that we tend to deal with in our walk of faith. Because as good as it is to talk about the exciting realities of who God is and who we are, the reality is that many of us are leashed not because of lies we believe, but because of problems that we have not dealt with. Some of them are problems you know of and you're like, oh no, oh no, that's fine, get ready. We're going to tackle some things this morning and over the next couple weeks. But for some of us, it's problems we don't even recognize. But problems that are holding us back from everything that God has for us. So this morning, I want to tackle the first of four problems. 
And it's a problem that I can say with fair confidence every single person in this room has dealt with at some point in their life. It's a problem that our society likes to ignore. We like to play it off as if it's no big deal. We like to say, no, 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 you're, you're justified in acting this way or in thinking this way, and that's the problem of unforgiveness. And I've called this message, Forgiveness Unleashed. You know, about a year ago, um, a pastor that I really respect down in the States, a guy by the name of Mike Todd, he, he has a church called Transformation Church. They did this whole series on forgiveness. And I just want to encourage you, if forgiveness is something you struggle with, check out that series. Because it's like 12 weeks long. It is all about forgiveness. It will tackle things that you didn't even realize you needed to forgive. But, but a great, great series. But anyways, he, he called the series Forgiveness Unleashed, or for short, F-U. And now that's going to offend some Christians in the room, and that's okay. Um, I personally thought that the series was brilliant because it examined the root of our unforgiveness and our reaction when someone offends us. Now, whether or not you would actually use the swear word or not, or, you know, the Christian alternatives that start with F and are four letters long but aren't actually the word— basically the same thing, but we're like, oh, I'm holy because I didn't say it. Um, But that's typically our reaction when someone hurts us, when someone offends us. Our reaction often is, F you! And sometimes it doesn't even take much. It's just a look across the room. You're at work and a coworker that you don't really like just gives you like a weird look, like, oh, wearing that today, and you just, you don't even know what's going on in their mind. And you're like, oh, how could that person look at me like that? And we get offended. Or, you know, driving down the highway, this is where I struggle the most. Um, This is where God's taught me a lot of forgiveness, is driving because somebody will cut me off, or drive 20 in a 60 zone or, you know, any, any number of things, and I've had to learn a lot of forgiveness in those moments. Because the reality is that offense is something that we all have to deal with. There, the reality is we, we, we get offended at anything. We can get offended at strangers, at friends, at coworkers, at our spouse, at parents. We can get offended at anything. And the danger, though, with offense is that offense, will always, offense undealt with will always lead to unforgiveness. Say that again. Offense that you do not deal with will always lead to unforgiveness. And you see, the Bible, when... The Bible talks about forgiveness a lot. And there's a reason for it. There's a reason that that it talks so strongly against unforgiveness. And uh, Ephesians 4 puts it this way. It says, Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. Now, I'm going to pause there because a lot of couples in the room think, Oh, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Let's stay up till 3 a.m. and hash out this fight. 
terrible idea. You're both tired. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to say things about her mother, and she's going to say things about your mother, and you're not going to get, it's just going to be miserable. Just, just, just don't. Because notice it doesn't say, don't go to bed angry. It says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And so unless you can control the sun, that's just a constant. The sun is going to go down, so you have to make the decision before it goes down to deal with your offense. It goes on, put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. We forgive because God forgave us. In another translation, it says, be angry but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger lest you give a foothold for the devil. So the danger with offense is it leads to anger, and anger leads to bitterness, and bitterness leads to unforgiveness. And then in our anger, we give a foothold for the enemy to attack us, to hinder our relationships, to cause problems. And it causes all of these different problems in our life. And Paul, in this moment, he says, no, 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 put that all aside. We forgive because Christ forgave us. Now, in Matthew 18, Jesus gives us some of the most concise and informative teaching on forgiveness. And he starts it off by saying, if, if your brother or sister sins against you, go to them, be reconciled to them, and then you'll regain the one. If they, if they refuse, well, then bring two or three witnesses Neutral is the context. Neutral witnesses don't bring your best friends to beat up on the person who hurt you. If they still refuse to be reconciled, then bring it to your community. And if, you still refuse to be rec- if they still refuse to be reconciled, then you can cut them off. But the point being, you deal with it and you forgive them. And then out of this context, Peter asks Jesus this question in Matthew 18. And he says, Lord... How often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now you have to understand, in this context, in the Jewish world, the the rule was three times. You had to forgive someone three times when they sinned against you. And after that, I don't know, I, I guess they got to four and that was it, you were done. But Peter's like, Jesus, Jesus, okay. I'll forgive seven times. That's enough, right? And Jesus is like, no, 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 Peter. I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Other translations translate it as 70 70 times seven times. But regardless of the number, the point is not that you keep a running tally and, oh, Kim, I'm sorry. You hit 76 times last night. One more, and we're done. (laughs) Kim's my wife, by the way. (laughs) But that's not the point. I heard Mike Todd put it this way. He said, when Jesus said, forgive 77 times, it wasn't about keeping score. It was about losing count. 
It wasn't about keeping score. It was about losing count. Doesn't matter if they hurt you. Doesn't matter what they did to you. Doesn't matter if they said something to you intentionally or not, or what happened. We are to forgive. And from there, Jesus begins to launch into this examination, this illustration of why we need to forgive continually. And he launches into the story, if you can throw up the next slide, and he says, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. A talent was a form of money. He wasn't just really, really gifted. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. So in this story, we see Jesus, he is telling a parable. And a parable was a form of allegory that was used to promote a point. Usually a single point, sometimes there's parables where every little detail meant something, but usually it was all about one thing. And so Jesus is using this parable to illustrate why we must forgive. And if you don't understand the depth of how great this debt was of 10,000 talents, you're forgiven, that's okay. But basically, one talent was the largest equivalent, like de, um, a denomination of currency in the Roman Empire. It's the largest coin or bill or whatever it was. It was the largest form of currency, kind of like, I think we have $1,000 bills. I think that's the largest. I don't know, something like that, but, but a lot of money. And so a talent was the largest form of money. It was equal to about 6,000 denarii. One denarii was the average day's wage of the ordinary person. So a talent is 6,000 days wage for the ordinary person. So if we extrapolate that out, if we can throw up the next slide because I don't remember the number. 10,000 talents is equal to 164,000 years of the average person's daily wage. No big deal pay that back by Tuesday, right? And what's crazy with this number, so talent, largest sum of money, and 10,000 was actually the largest number in the Greek language. So I, uh, we were talking about this on, um, on, on Friday when we were running through the service, and Dan was like, oh yeah, it's basically like 11 bajillion dollars. Meaningless. Just, we're just making up words to, to uh, make a point. But basically, though, if we were to extrapolate based on our minimum wage over that many years on the average person's like work day and whatnot, we're talking about about $5.1 billion in modern day money. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a pastor. I don't make that much money. Maybe you do. It's great. But... <laughs> 
That's a lot of money. Or, to put it in context, I'm a visual learner, so I, I like visuals. If each grain of rice in here is equal to $10,000, that's how much that is owed. 10 kilograms of rice. I stole this from the food bank bin this morning. And from home. We're not giving a half-used bag of rice to people. <laughs> $5.1 billion. It's a lot of money. And then the story goes on. The servant, when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him. Let me give you an illustration of how much a hundred denarii is. Let's just get one grain of rice. There we go. Not even that much. It's about $8,000. Not even equal to one grain of rice. Remember, we have about 510,000 grains of rice right here that the guy was just forgiven. And he's owed not even one grain of rice. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. The servant owed this much money. It was all forgiven him. And one person owes him this much. You probably can't even see it. And he goes and he's like, I can't. No. You have to pay me back. But when his fellow servants heard of it, saw what take, had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported it to their master, the king, all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And then Jesus gets to the point of the story. He gets to the point, the whole parable is building to this one point, and he says, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now I'm going to be honest with you. I've struggled with that verse for a long time because it's ominous. It's heavy. And that's, it, it, that's just how it is. And the reality is, I don't think that this verse is in reference to salvation, because John 3.16 says, whoever believes in Jesus will be saved and shall have eternal life, not whoever believes in Jesus and forgives his brother will be saved and have eternal life. But I think the point is, in the context and in the overall scope that we see in Scripture, is that forgiveness hinders relationships. If I do not forgive someone, it hinders my relationship. And we tend to think, oh, well, it just hinders my relationship with that person. That's okay. But in reality, it also hinders our relationship with God. And God is saying, Jesus is saying in this moment, you've not forgiven that person. That's put a block in your relationship with that person. 
but it's also put a block in your relationship with God. You know, we tend to look at forgiveness as a way of, or unforgiveness as a way of getting back at somebody. Like, they hurt me! I have every right to be upset, and often, often, often we justify it as well. That's the best part. Well, I have every right to be upset because he left. It's his fault. I have every right to be upset because she said those words to me. I have every right to be upset, and they, didn't, they hurt me, they hurt me, so I don't have to apologize. They have to apologize, and Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You have to forgive doesn't matter if they apologize or not. It doesn't matter if they even know what they did to you. You have the responsibility to forgive. You know, I heard one person, I can't even remember who it was, but it's a famous quote. He said, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. In unforgiveness, we think we can get vengeance and get revenge and get back at the person who hurt us. But really, we're just hurting us. You know, a while back, I heard a pastor, a guy named Stephen Furtick, said that the enemy's goal is destruction. His strategy is division, and his tactic is offense which is to say that the enemy's goal is to destroy your life. His tactic is to divide you from people who will support you and keep you in line and help you to grow and help you to become the person God wants you to be. And his tactic is to make you offended. Because the enemy knows if he can just get you offended at the people who God put in your life, you're going to separate yourself from them. You're going to distance yourself from them. And suddenly the people who are in your life for a reason, God put them there for a reason to be a blessing to you. And suddenly because of an offense, you are divided from them. And the enemy's like, yes, I got him now. Let me illustrate this for you. If I can get Kim, Spencer, and Dan to come up on stage. I, um, I'm going to be honest, I believe in showing your work. I stole this illustration from Stephen Furtick. He preached it about six years ago on, called The Prison of Offense. It's a great illustration, though, and I want to just demonstrate what offense does in our lives. So Kim, obviously, is, is my wife of four years. Love her to bits. She's amazing. But, you know, it can be easy to get offended at your spouse. The room is silent because you're all sitting by the person you're most offended at. That's okay. Just being real. Dan is our campus pastor. He has a lot of experience in church ministry and is just an amazing, amazing asset to our team. And Spencer, well, Spencer, we met in Bible college. He's one of my best friends. He's also our youth pastor. It worked out that way. You tell, you, you, you. All three of these people work on stage. Kim, silence. Dan, silence. Spencer, obviously youth are here. <laughs> but we love to nerd out. He's one of my best friends and, and just a great guy. But the reality is that all of us have people in our lives who at some point in our life will give us reason to be offended. We all have spouses or significant others or friends or coworkers or bosses or mentors or strangers in the store that we will interact with. And, 
And the reality is, whether you like it or not, if you spend any time with people, at some point, they will give you a reason to be offended. It's, it's just the reality. You don't want to ever be offended. Go live in a cave somewhere by yourself. Never talk to anybody. And make sure you get rid of Facebook, because that's just a dumpster fire. Um, but people will give us reasons to be offended. Now this over here, this represents a garden of the potential of every relationship that we have. And this represents an offense. So for the sake of this illustration, let's say I'm hanging out with Spencer. And we're playing board games. We're doing our thing, hanging out. It's fun. It's great. But we're playing this game that I'm not very good at. This is just an illustration. This didn't actually happen. But and Spencer, being kind of sarcastic, dry, humor kind of guy, makes a comment, oh, you're really not very good at this game. Now, the comment is factual, and he's not meaning for it to offend me, but in that moment, what he doesn't realize is that all my life, I've been struggling with feeling not good enough, trying to prove myself in school with grades or in sports to be cool or, or in ministry, that I've all my life I've felt not good enough. And so when Spencer says, oh, you're really not good at this game, he doesn't know what's going on behind the scenes, but I take offense. And then I walk away from there, and I'm like, oh, Spencer, who does he think he is? Saying I'm not good at this. I'm good at things. I'm good at more things than he is. Who does he think he is with this? And, and I get offended, and start to build a fence. And then along comes Dan, and we're just at work, and, and Dan, in his wisdom, he, he, he's very wise, he's very skilled, he, he gives good ideas and advice in his wisdom. Again, this didn't happen, but... But Dan comes to me and he's like, Darian, I, can I give you a piece of advice? And I'm like, sure. He's like, okay, well, you're a good preacher, but when you speak, you talk really fast. <laughs> now, this is actually a piece of advice that one of our elders gave me a while back. He's at home sick. Love you, Peter. Um, I was going to have him come up on stage, but he's not here, so we're just going to go with it. Um, and this wasn't my reaction, but, but Dan says this to me, and I'm offended. Because I'm like, I'm a better preacher than Dan is. He might have been doing this longer than me, but I, I'm the lead pastor, Dan! How could you give me advice, Dan? And then I come home from this, and my poor wife... She's just been working and doing her thing, and she's been at home all day, and, and maybe she's been working, I don't know, but I come home, and I'm just angry. I'm in a huff. I'm upset. Spencer offended me. Dan offended me. And then my wife, she has the audacity to be like, hey, dear, can you take the dog for a walk? <laughs> Notice, none of these people have done anything to intentionally offend me. And that's not to say that people won't intentionally do things to offend you, but often it's our reaction. 
And my wife is just making a casual comment, can you, can you help me a bit? And because I've been offended, I'm like, don't you know who makes the money in this house? I just want to sit down and I just want to relax and how dare you ask me to take the dog for a walk and I get offended. And notice this garden is still pretty open. I can still move around it, but there's some distance now. There's some barriers. And then as time goes on, well, I start to notice Spencer hangs out with a lot of people and he doesn't always invite me. Now he's not even doing anything. But Spencer must not be that good of a friend. Because he never invites me to hang out. Must not be that good of a person. And then we're just driving down the road, driving with Kim. And this is a real story. Uh, my wife is the best green light alert system in the world. My parents, they have a Tesla, and it just added this new feature of green light chirp. chirp. So when you stop, you're stopped at a green light, it'll like beep at you. I'm like, I don't need that feature. <laughs> I have my wife. But every time she does that, I have opportunity to get offense. How could she give me driving instructions? If you think you can do better than me, there's another seat you can sit in, dear. <laughs> she must not trust me as a driver. And then I come back to work and, ah, oh, Dan, constantly giving me advice and ideas. And how could he? I mean, I'm literally paying him to do that. But how dare he? And piece by piece, we build a fence. And you know, it's not even always the people that we know that offend us. If you've paid any attention to social media or the political climate in the past couple of years, you'll know that the number of people who get offended over things like whether you wore a mask or not, if you voted for the same political party as they did, if you drove a gas car or an electric car, like, ooh, big deal. The amount of people that get offended over stupid things is astounding. And we get offended at strangers for things that we just don't agree with. But you know, the worst kind of offense is the offense that we take at ourselves when we make a mistake, when we do something we promised ourselves we wouldn't do, when we watch the pornography we said we would never watch, when we take the drugs we promised ourselves we would never take, And now we're not just offended at others, but we're offended at ourselves. And still, I can get in and out of this garden. But it's a lot harder. Like, hey dear, come and give me a hug. No? But, but there's enough room, we can make it work. But it's offense. And then over time, what happens is this offense just keeps piling up. 
And the people who offended us are no longer in our lives, but we're now taking it out on the people in our lives. Because she left me, now I'm offended at my wife because I'm worried that she's going to leave me too. Like, dear, I love you, but, but don't get too close because I'm just worried. Or it's because he hurt me. Now I want friendships. I want people to mentor me. But don't get too close because the last person hurt me. And I don't want you to get close enough to hurt me, but, 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 but I, I care about you, but don't get too close. And suddenly we take our offense out on the people who weren't even present to cause the offense. And suddenly we find ourselves trapped in the prison of offense. Find ourselves trapped in a place we were never meant to be. Stuck because we don't know how to get out. Distant in relationships because we've built a barrier. And we built this because we're just trying to get back at the people who, we, who hurt us. But it's not them who's trapped. It's us. But you know, thankfully, there's another way. If only we could find an example of somebody who had every reason to be offended, somebody who had every reason to remain at a distance, at somebody who had every reason to be hurt and to take it out against us, but yet freely chose to say, no, I forgive you. You know, Jesus, when he walked on this earth, he was alone held authority to judge people. He alone had the authority to condemn us, to harbor unforgiveness against us. But yet, in the midst of all the pain we caused him, in the midst of being hurt and beaten and slandered and ignored and nailed to a cross and killed, on the cross he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. See, the reason that Jesus makes such a big deal about forgiveness is because he forgave us. Matthew 5, he tells us, if you are in church and you're worshiping God and you realize that someone else has an offense against you, like you're not offended, they're offended. He says, go to them, be reconciled to them, and then come back and offer your worship. Matthew 18, if someone sins against you, go to them, be reconciled to them. If they refuse, well, then bring some others. If they still refuse, then bring some others. If they still refuse, then you can cut them out of your life. But forgive. You have to forgive. And that doesn't mean that let you let them hurt you over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Forgiveness doesn't mean subjecting yourself to pain at the hands of somebody who's not going to change. But do what you have to do to protect yourself. And yet... You must forgive them. 
So when we are offended, because we're going to get offended, that's just the reality. When we are offended, what do we need to do? Well, we need to learn, and this is really, really deep, we need to learn when we're offended to forgive and drop it. You need to learn to say, Dad, I forgive you for the pain you caused me as a kid by leaving. I forgive you for that. You don't even know what you did to me, but I forgive you for that and drop it. Kim, I forgive you for the words that you said to me that hurt me and made me feel dishonored in our marriage. I forgive you for that and drop it. Darian, for the pain you caused yourself and your past with addiction, I forgive you for that and drop it. Coworker, you said those words that hurt me. You did it intentionally. But I forgive you. I forgive you and drop it. Forgive and drop it. Now that doesn't mean don't deal with the issues. That doesn't mean ignore the problems and pretend that your relationships are perfectly fine if they're hurting you. But once you've dealt with it, forgive and drop it. That doesn't mean ignore the emotions and just batten down the hatches as if you're just perfect. But deal with them, forgive, and drop it. That doesn't mean that you don't need to go to counseling, that you don't need to get help to walk through that pain. But once you walk through that pain, once you deal with the offense, forgive and drop it. See, this is the way of relationship. This is the kind of relationships that God is calling us to have. That when we are offended, we forgive and we drop it. And it doesn't matter if their offense was a $1 offense or a $15 offense. We deal with it and we drop it. Why? Well, because Jesus came and he forgave our $5.1 billion worth of offense. And if Jesus forgave our $5.1 billion of offense, we can forgive their $8,000 worth of offense. But we must forgive. We must forgive. If I can get everyone to stand here, in a moment we're going to go back into worship. We're going to sing one last song. It's going to be a full song, not the normal half song we do. But as we do that, I, I want to encourage you take a step of faith. If there is anyone in your life that maybe you know you're harboring unforgiveness against, or maybe God is putting on your heart right now, like, oh, you need to forgive that person. If there's anyone that you know you need to forgive, I want to encourage you as we sing this song in, on the tables in front of you, you'll see there's a pad of sticky notes and pens. If you're in this front row, there's ones in the row behind you. But if there is anyone who you need to forgive, what I want to encourage you to do is to write their name down on a sticky note, fold it, 
and then bring it to the cross and pin it to the cross. Now, no, this is not an act of saying, I forgive this person because forgiveness is a process. It's not a momentary decision. It's a process. But what this is an act of doing is saying, God, I release this person to you. They hurt me. They offended me. They did something, whether intentional or not, that made me feel something bad. I'm struggling to forgive them, and God, I give them to you. Help me learn to forgive them. Help me to be reconciled to them, if it is possible. And if not, just help me to forgive. So let's pray. Father God, Lord, I pray that we will be a people who forgive. That we won't be like the world harboring unforgiveness and hatred against others because of what they've done to us, God, but that we will learn to forgive and drop it. Whenever offense comes in our life, we will forgive and drop it. That we might live in freedom in our relationships with others and in our relationship with you, God. Lord, as we worship, I pray that you will bring to our minds and to our hearts anyone who we need to forgive. Any unforgiveness that is in our hearts, help us to see it and to begin that process of forgiveness, Lord. God, I thank you that you forgave us for all of the offense we caused to you. Lord, help us to forgive others in the same way. Pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Just as a reminder, if you know you need to forgive someone, write their name down on a sticky note, fold it, no one needs to see it. Come pin it to the cross. Let's worship.